Hello, thanks for tuning in. You are listening to Crash, the UK Geek Show. This is episode 274, recorded on Monday, the 1st of July. Happy first day of the month, 2019, at 21.06.23. About six and a half minutes late, because Audacity crashed. Yes, I'm looking at the remains of my crashed audacity on my desktop. Very disappointed. I've been having trouble with audacity for two days. And I had to spend the extra six minutes digging out my digital recorder and then finding the cables to attach the mic that's usually connected to my mixer into my digital recorder. And it was a faff. So I'm very sorry about that. It was only six minutes, though, and yes, the rewatch continues. We're in the pre-show section of this episode of the podcast, and I thought I'd explain what's been happening with this rewatch and <laughs> why I'm actually bothering to do it. Part of the reason was to catch up with my big Doctor Who rewatch, which seems to drag on and on. And it was going to be a hot weekend. I didn't think I'd have too much to do at the beginning of the weekend. Boy, was I wrong. Which is why the episodes are starting to lag a little bit behind, a day or two behind. Not as drastic as some of my previous (laughs) late recorded shows. That is at least something. Back to other reasons why I'm doing this, because the living room's much cooler than the bedroom, which is where I watch Doctor Who. Yeah, it's just been quite hot lately, hasn't it? I think we're having record temperatures. Tomorrow, I'm going into London to take some photographs to use as a book cover for my novel The Horus Box because I found out that buying a royalty-free photo is incredibly expensive and fraught with legal problems with even public domain offerings. So I have taken the cheap option, which is to get an off-peak return ticket go into London and take the photograph myself. I'm planning to stand somewhere on Waterloo Bridge, so please don't rain, weather, don't rain, and take a photo probably facing northeast of the city. Apparently you should be able to get good photos there. If it's not raining, and if there's no fog, or some other ridiculous impediment to me getting this photo just occurs. But fingers crossed. The other thing I've noticed, it's been a long time since I've been into London, and the train prices are not exactly cheap, are they? Where was I? I, We sort of drifted off a bit. Yeah, it is cooler, so I'm downstairs watching Doctor Who until I get too tired to watch Doctor Who and then I go to bed. And what fuel am I using to keep myself going? Eye drops, very, very important, because I suffer from dry eyes. Red Bull, 
which does not help the dry eyes, but does help me staying awake. I don't know if this is really a good way to do this. It seems like I'm doing one thing and then cancelling it out with another thing. And popcorn, although I haven't really broken into the popcorn yet, but I have two small bags of sweet and salty popcorn that I'm holding on standby, just in case I need the extra energy. And yeah, as I said, it's not going as fast as I'd like. And yeah, I'm well aware that I'm lagging behind. But as we're here tonight, and I have watched another serial, let's do this. While I'm still awake, and I am awake. <laughs> Hopefully, during the whole of the show, I will remain awake. Tonight, we're talking about the Doctor Who serial, entitled The Mutants, from 1972. As usual, let's start off with some cast and production notes. As ever, or for a long time now, John Pertwee plays the third Doctor, Katie Manning plays his companion, Joe Grant, and there are some notable cast members that I've wanted to draw attention to tonight. A character called Cotton is played by an actor called Rick James. <laughs> I don't know what you're thinking, but we'll get on to that later. He also played Chalser in Blake 7, the episode entitled Warlord. There's another character called Sondergaard, played by John Hollis. Now that name should be familiar to geeks. John Hollis, a man with no hair at all, very distinctive looking actor. Any guesses? Yes, he played Lobot in the second Star Wars film, The Empire Strikes Back. There's also a character called Kai, played by Garrick Hagon, and I did not know this name, but I do know the character that he played in another Star Wars film. Garrick Hagon played Big Starklighter, Luke's friend, and Red Three in Star Wars, the first film, or as younger people call it, A New Hope, but I don't call it that. I just call it Star Wars. The Mutants was directed by Christopher Barry. The writers were Bob Baker and Dave Martin, and the producer was Barry Letts. As with a few of these serials lately, this serial consisted of six 25-minute episodes first broadcast from the 8th of April to the 13th of May, 1972. And before I tell you what happens, let's listen to another clip that I have semi-artfully spliced together. And then I'll give my own short synopsis. Roll the clip! March! March! 
on the eve of the Independence Conference. There'll be a full security clampdown. The Salonians will never know. As for Baron, he was merely reporting on Kai's activities. Spying for you, you mean? No. All part of security? Security? Such as we had tonight? Natives and the devil knows who else running amok. Good heavens, man, we're not at war with the Salonians. We're giving them independence. Oh, eventually. Not eventually, Marshal. Now. Total and absolute independence. We're pulling out. Pulling out? I take it you've been too busy with security to study the latest reports from Earth. We can't afford an empire anymore. Earth is exhausted, Marshal, finished. Politically, economically, and biologically finished. And why go back? We could keep Skybase on Solos, take over the whole planet. Out of the question. Apart from the Salonians themselves, there's the problem of the atmosphere. Well, they're both problems that can be solved. The Kai's already making political capital out of your experiments in that field. Hmm. The mutants. Exactly. There is no proof that my atmospheric experiments have anything at all to do with these mutations. The much other menace must be wiped out. And that's your alternative to independence? Genocide? Give them independence, they'll starve out of total incompetence. Nevertheless, they shall have their independence, whether they're ready for it or not. Destroy my dreams! I'll destroy you! Die, Marshal! Let there be an end to your torture of my people. I thank you, Doctor, for all my people. Goodbye. Professor Sondergaard has agreed to stay on Solos and see as many of the Salonians as possible through to the stage that Kai has already achieved. But what about the others? The mutants we saw in the caves? They were premature mutations, Joe. The cycle of changes was triggered off too soon. Rather like butterflies that hatch out on a cold spring day. Their instincts were too confused to seek out and use the crystal. And now you think you'll be able to help them? Oh yes, we think so. Kai is on Solos now and with the crystal, we hope he can save them. And what are you going to do, Cotton? Give Kai and Professor Sundergaard all the help I can. Try and clear up some of the mess the Marshal made. Then, do something we should have all done a long time ago. What's that? Go home, miss. Back to Earth. Exactly. Cotton, you will assume acting command of this space, pending its return to Earth. Sir? I take it you will be returning in Hyperion with me. I still require a full account of your involvement in this affair. Yes, yes, of course, but I, I wonder whether you'd excuse us for the moment, Investigator. My assistant is feeling rather faint. Oh. Who, me? No, 
Oh, I'm fine now. Honestly, yes, dear, I didn't no, feel you, too good. You good have early, been but rather I... overdoing it, you know. I you, have? you don't look too well. Really? Come on, yeah. Will you excuse us? We'll, we'll see you all later. Storage area where we left the TARDIS. Oh. oh no, they've locked it again. More breaking and entering. Give me that. <laughs> oh well, back to the broom cupboard. Yes, well, at least we've made a clean sweep of this place. No? So you heard that. Here's my synopsis of what happens, and believe me, it's a lot shorter than a few of the online plot synopses like you will find on Wikipedia, or TARDIS Wikia. And here goes. The Time Lords have sent the TARDIS to Skybase 1, orbiting the seemingly primitive planet Solos, which is the HQ of the 30th century Earth Empire overlords led by the Marshal. The Doctor's mission is to deliver a strange black football-like box. Joe and the Doctor find out that the package is for Kai, a young, rebellious, tribal native leader of Solos which the Earth Empire is about to grant independence. Unfortunately, the planet is rich with cesium. At least, that's what I heard when I was watching this story. I see that it's spelt somewhat differently in the Wikipedia entry, but I heard cesium. And that cesium, the Marshal, wants to carry on exploiting. The murderous marshal is also set on exterminating the mutts. These are natives transforming from a human form into insectoid mutants. So mutt is a derogatory term for mutants. The box the doctor delivered contains black tablets carved with pictograms. Although Kai doesn't understand what they mean, the Doctor later meets a renegade Earth scientist called Sondergaard, underground on Solos. He and the Doctor work out that the tablets describe the natural life cycle of the natives, which includes an insectoid stage, but the marshal is altering the planet's biosphere, and the cycle has become vastly accelerated. On Skybase 1, exposed to radiation, 
Kai first changes into the insectoid form, then ascends into a glowing and powerful humanoid superintelligence. In the final confrontation, Kai kills the Marshal. The Imperial Inspector from Earth then hands over command to Cotton, a friendly overlord. The Doctor and Joe leave discreetly. What did I think? This is like a bigger, flashier version of a previous story that we covered, Colony in Space from 1971. We talked about that in Crash episode 248. Colony in Space was also about the evils of colonialism, imperialism, resource exploitation, and environmental collapse. You may have noticed a pattern developing in Doctor Who. Given the extremely political nature of the story this week, I thought I'd mention a reason that this seems to happen in some of the stories. I've already referenced Colony in Space, and in the last episode I talked about the story called The Sea Devils. Both serials reflect an anti-colonial, anti-imperial, and arguably anti-racist stance, and both scripts were written by a chap called Malcolm Hulk. That is, like the Incredible Hulk, but with an E on the end. This guy was a left-leaning writer and was a one-time member of the Communist Party of Great Britain. There is even a short minor study called Doctor Who and the Communist, Malcolm Hulk and his career in television by Michael Herbert. I'm not in any way suggesting that all Hulk's writing was influenced by a strong political ideology, because no writer can afford to live that way. And, by the way, just a little aside before we go on. Malcolm Hulk is also known for writing an early lost Doctor Who radio pilot called Journey Into Time. There isn't much known about that. Some guy did try and find the pilot, but nothing ever happened. I think there is a script floating around somewhere that you can read, but that's where my research runs out. Anyway, back to politics and Doctor Who. I'm also not saying that Malcolm Hulk was the only Doctor Who writer with a social conscience. You only have to look at Terry Nation's work on the show, or as the creator of Survivors in 1975, and of course Blake Seven in 1978. But you do very often see this moral core deeply ingrained in much of Doctor Who, and it is one of the reasons I and many others are fans, despite the BBC's occasional lapses in judgment, and we'll get onto that just in a moment. Because now we're going to talk about representation. In the mutants, representation isn't so terrible 
this time around as we have a black actor from Antigua and Barbuda called Rick James no not that Rick James but another Rick James George Rick James and he plays a key role as one of the Marshal's chief guards. He gets a lot of lines, a prominent role, and doesn't even have to die first or at all. And as you heard in the synopsis, he ends up as the commander of Skybase One. Actually, I also counted another two non-white actors playing guards. That all sounds great, but on the other hand, Rick James's character's name is Cotton. Seriously, Beeb? Seriously, BBC? You almost had it, Beeb, but not quite. Let's talk about the character Kai, the young revolutionary, played by Garrick Hagon. He is very much the angry young man, the Che Guevara rock star revolutionary. Though, as annoyingly right on as Kai is, and if you think I'm right on, you have to listen to him, you have to admire his dedication to his people, whether human, mutating, or fully mutant mutts. He is dedicated to them all, and their freedom, and the end of oppression from Imperial Earth. Still on the subject of Kai, when Kai ascends... And this is a bit of a tangent, but it struck me strongly when I saw this. Because this is Gay Pride Week, and when Kaya sends, he ends up wearing this resplendent rainbow-coloured cloak, which seemed appropriate. Pride Week didn't exist back then, but Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber's Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat had been around since the late 60s, so the colourful cloak trope would have been something familiar to the public? Actually, you know what? A few years later than the Doctor Who episode, and it's getting confusing talking about time, but of course it is because we're talking about Doctor Who. No, I meant in the 70s, I actually played one of Joseph's anonymous brothers in a school play. I did try for Joseph, but my audition was rubbish, so I had to stand in the background with a stupid fake moustache. Enough sulking, on to the next point, which is the final thing. This struck me as another expensive production. I think I may have made a mistake in the past where I have compared Blake Seven to Doctor Who. Although some of the creatives, actors, crew, props and wardrobe are the same, I certainly don't remember such a vast number of stunts, actors, possibly extras, and large, elaborate sets in Blake 7. Although there have been elaborate Doctor Who productions even before John Pertwee 
I've noticed John Pertwee's residency as the Doctor does seem to have made the BBC's budget increase overall. I get the distinct feeling that John Pertwee's popularity made the BBC start to regard Doctor Who as their flagship show, much in the same way as New Who brings in a huge number of viewers. And that's all I have to talk about regarding The Mutants from 1972. We are now in the after-show section. And let me tell you a bit about my rewatch methodology. Well, I watch, I sip some cold drink or caffeinated beverage, I munch something tasty, a snack, I walk around a bit between episodes, I write show notes between episodes, and then I watch and sip and munch, and every now and then I doze off and wake up drooling. I think the question isn't so much how I'm doing this, it's why I'm doing this. And I have told you at the top of the show that I'm trying to catch up with the rewatch to make it go by faster, because I don't really want to be doing this for the next ten years. I want to finish sometime in the foreseeable future. The near foreseeable future. Not the end of my life. Now I'm starting to think I've made a mistake for questioning the magic. Don't question the magic. Let's just say the rewatch continues. And yeah, I am pretty much sick of saying that as well. So I'll say it again. The rewatch continues. I bet you're sick of me saying the rewatch continues. Join me next time for the Doctor Who adventure entitled The Time Monster from 1972. And that's it. The show is produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Martha, a writer. Martha is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at roymartha.com. For further reading, there's a link to the show notes in the description of this episode. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen and recommend it to a friend. You were listening to Crash, the UK Geek Show, episode 274, recorded on Monday the 1st of July 2019, and the time at the end of the show is 21.36.13. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye for now. Bye!